Good morning. Today we'll continue in our misunderstood, miscited, misapplied texts. Today we'll actually be in Revelation, Revelation 3, verses 14 to 22. Let me go ahead and lead us in a word of prayer. Father God, as we look at your word, which we know to be true, we ask that we would rightly divide it. And Father, as we look at some of these passages that sometimes in the church, sometimes outside the church, are misunderstood or misapplied, we ask, Father, that we would rightly divide what you have given us, understand it in its context, and live it out. Father, we're not interested in knowledge for knowledge's sake, but knowledge for transformation, that we might glorify you with our lives. Help us to honor you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Morning, Jared. How are you? Uh, I'm doing all right, Pastor Jeff. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing all right. I got to be honest with you. I've been thinking lately. Um, I, oh, boy. I, I believe Highland's really holding me back these days, Jeff. Holding you back? Really? That's right. How? Well, you see, there's a lot of passions I have in life and outside of being a pastor. And the reality is, is I really enjoy barbecue. And I, I a lot of people in my life especially my mother, tell me I have what it takes to become a barbecue pitmaster pro. A pitmaster? Is that even a thing? Professional pitmasters are a thing. There's lots of people who've paved the way, okay? Ladies in the house, there is the grill girl, all right? This is Elizabeth Carmel. She is all over the internet. She's blowing up the barbecue world. One of my personal favorites is Myron Mixon. I have multiple cookbooks of this man at my house. He owns Jack's Old South. He's a five-time world barbecue champion, and he is not only a contestant, but a judge on a Netflix TV show. And you can't forget Miss Tootsie. Miss Tootsie, 85 years old. She wakes up in the middle of the night, and she takes these giant logs, and she burns them down to coals. When most people are sleeping or getting up for work, she's smoking meat all through the morning to get ready for lunch, and she does it almost every single day. These are the people I want to be like. I want to be a barbecue pit master pro. Are you serious? Are these people even real? A professional pit master? Now, I've had your meats. You are really good, but you're not a pro. Stick with your day job and you will go far. Well, kind of far. Well, maybe a little further than you are today. Well, uh, thanks for the words of encouragement, Pastor Jeff, but let me school you for a moment, okay? Now listen, when you are smoking meat, when you are barbecuing, there's this thing called the danger zone, all right? Danger zone. Yes, danger zone. All right, it's 40 degrees to 140 degrees. It's where E. coli and salmonella just thrive, all right? And if you serve any smoked meat in that temperature range and you eat it, and the other reality is is people might get sick, okay? Get up. So, wow, I just had a thought. Oh, boy. It's... (laughs) 
it's kind of like it applies to Christianity a little bit, all right? So we are called to not be lukewarm like the danger zone. We are called to be either piping hot like myself or ice cold like Pastor Andrew, but never lukewarm. In fact, wait a minute. You, Revelation 3, you quoted it earlier. Jesus himself says, I see your works. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were hot or cold, but you're not. You're lukewarm, therefore I will spit you out of my mouth. See, introduction, we've looked at scripture, and we have application. Sermon's over, kids. All right, you get 35 minutes of your life back, and we get to go home. You're welcome. You can thank me later. All right, barbecue boy. I'm going to share three things with you. Okay. First, you are a good cook, and anytime you cook, I'm there. Second, we love you here. We want you to stay. And third, you gave a popular explanation of the text, which is not correct. So grab a comfy seat, sit down. I'm taking my 35 minutes back. Yes, sir. Thank you. Let's read the text as God wrote it. Revelation 3, 14 to 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, Jesus, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were be either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with him on my throne. To sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As you and I begin, we immediately see at least two things that are often cited, and perhaps they're cited out of context or they're misunderstood. We have to admit that the text doesn't say what we would expect. We would expect it to say, Be hot, be smoking for Jesus. And if you can't, at least be lukewarm, but by no means ought you to be cold. But that's not what it says. It says, be hot, be cold, don't be lukewarm. And we wonder what on earth is that all about? Is it consistent with the rest of Scripture? I want us to know it is not only consistent, but it comes out of the topography and geography of our setting. And what it's really saying is that You, I, we are to be useful for the kingdom of God. We'll make that point 
in a moment. The second thing that is a bit perplexing is how we ought to use verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will sup with him and he with me. Let's be honest. Lots of people, probably including some of us, have used Revelation 3.20 in an evangelistic presentation. Jesus is standing at the door of your life. He's longing to come in. You need to have faith, open the door, believe in Christ. Except the passage is written to a church. It's written to Christ's followers. It isn't written to the unbelieving world. God in his grace sometimes uses our less than accurate gospel presentations, but in context, this verse is written to Christ's followers. It's not written to individuals who do not yet have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. With these two introductory remarks, let's go ahead and look at the text. It begins as all seven, there are seven churches of Asia In Revelation 2 and 3, it begins in that manner, which is found in all seven. To the angel in the church of Laodicea. I love it. The angel is the senior pastor. Angel Jeff. I got to tell you, I've been called a lot worse in my life. But unfortunately, to the angel at the church of Laodicea, John speaking for Christ has bad news. The church is not doing well. The church is not living as it ought. In fact, many in the church are lukewarm, and therefore Jesus is considering spitting them out of his mouth. What is this all about? It certainly seems like a puzzler. Verse 15 tells us that God wants us to be hot. He wants us to be cold but he doesn't want us to be lukewarm. Again, that just doesn't make sense. We've got to understand the text in terms of the topography, the geography, which probably more than any place in the New Testament explains all of Revelation 2 and 3. You can't really understand, I can't really understand the seven churches of Asia Unless I understand the topography and the geography, then and even today. Why do we want to be hot? Why do we want to be cold? Why should we not be lukewarm? Well, the text is from the Lycus Valley. And in the Lycus Valley, you have three main cities in antiquity. You have Hierapolis. You have Laodicea. This is written to them. And you have Colossae. And this is actually written about their water. This was and still is the defining characteristic of this part of the world. In Hierapolis, people today still take tours to Hierapolis because of their water. They have water that bubbles out of the ground. Anywhere from 95 to 212 degrees depending on the spot. It has the most natural hot tubs anywhere in the world. The views are spectacular, and the water 
is really good for one's skin. It is filled with chemicals. And people the world over in Rome, and even today, will travel to Hierapolis to sit in these natural hot springs where the chemicals will do good things to the skin, and it's a beautiful surrounding, a beautiful setting, and the water is hot, and it's useful. Colossae is just the opposite. Colossae also has water bubbling out of the ground, but it's ice cold. It has no chemicals. It's fresh, it's clean, it's drinking water. It's what the Colligan man and Britta only dream about. In fact, you can go to Colossae today and you can still see huge stones with the center bore out And those stones were laid side by side by side, literally for miles in all directions, going to villages and cities. And many in Colossae made their, they made their livelihood by the fresh springs because they had the best drinking water available. Hierapolis's water was good. It was useful. It brought a living. Colossae's water was good. It was useful. It brought a living. Laodicea's water was horrible. It came from Hierapolis on a meandering river that meandered 13 miles and went over a 300-foot waterfall. By the time that water got into Laodicea, that water was lukewarm. It was far too cold to sit in and bathe in. It still had all the chemicals You couldn't drink it. It would literally make one spit up. John is playing off of this when he talks to the church of Laodicea, when he talks to the church in central Wisconsin. And he says, be hot and useful. Be cold and useful. Don't be lukewarm and useless Because that causes God to want to spit up when he sees his church, when he sees Christ's followers, people who claim to belong to the Lord, who are useless to the kingdom, it causes him to spit up. Now, I think we might ask a question this morning. Is it possible for a Christ follower to be useless? Is it possible? Well, I think experientially and biblically, we have to answer the question, yes, right? It's possible that someone comes to the Lord, they're really on fire with the Lord, and then life happens, and recreation happens, and difficulties happen, and work happens, and family happens, and, and suddenly the things of Christ grow strangely dim, and our recreation takes preference over our worship of the Lord, and And suddenly, things of God are secondary. A recreation or our job are primary. Our family is primary, but not Christ. And I think a question we need to ask ourselves is this. Let's suppose for a moment that some here today have known Christ for 10 years, or 20 years, or 40 years. Are you more in love with Jesus today? than you were 10 or 20 or 30 years ago? Am I more on fire for Jesus 
today than five years ago? Am I more committed to my faith and more involved in my faith, serving in my faith and giving in my faith and worshiping my faith today than two years ago? What is the trajectory of my faith? What is the trajectory of your faith? We see it in the life of Corinth. I smile because I'll be there in a few weeks and and I actually love ancient Corinth. It's, it's an incredible place. My doctoral dissertation was out of 2 Corinthians. And uh, the background of Corinth is something I had to study. If you're, if you're familiar with Corinth, you know that uh, Paul pastored the church for 18 months. He made two other visits. He was in Corinth three times that we know of. Do you know Paul wrote four letters to Corinth, of which we have two? Clement of Rome wrote a letter to Corinth not long after Paul's death, actually writing about the same things that Paul wrote. I won't even get into the pastoral staff at Corinth, but it was amazing. And yet, if you read First and Second Corinthians, it's a church filled with individuals who are once on fire for Jesus, once sold out for Jesus, once living for Jesus, once red hot or icy cold useful for Jesus. And not so much anymore. And you remember what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He says that we will all appear before the Bama Seat of Christ and each one will receive what is due in the body whether agathon good or phalon worthless. And we've got to ask ourselves, could there really be a worthless Christ follower? If scripture is true, the answer is yes. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by belief in the work of Christ. And having been saved by Christ, then we worship Christ by how we live our lives And sometimes we take our eyes off of the Lord and we start putting our eyes on other things. And we build these idols into our lives. And things take precedence over our relationship with Jesus Christ. And it says that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, not a judgment seat of condemnation. Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not going before the great white throne judgment of the unbeliever of Revelation 20. This is the Bema judgment of the believer of 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5 and Romans 14. And God will evaluate what we've done in our lives since we've come to know Jesus. And he actually gives us only two words, agathon good, Fall on worthless. Those who are worthless, who are not doing the word, they're hearers of the word only. They are not doing as well. And that's John's concern with the church of Laodicea. He sees this church with incredible potential that have taken their eyes off of the Lord and they put their eyes on something else. And he says, man, I wish you were hot. 
useful. I wish you were cold, useful, like the water, but you're actually lukewarm, and, and I'll spit you out of my mouth. I think of Rocky Three. You remember? I Makes you just kind of want to fight, doesn't it? Do you remember Rocky III? He's now the heavyweight champion of the world, right? He's come a long way from being a street fighter in Philadelphia. Now he's rich. He's got the toys. He's famous. He's going to only have one more fight against a guy named Clubber Lang. One more fight. But do you remember how he's training now? He's training to a circus. He gets to the speed bag. He hits it for 30 seconds. And someone says, hey, Rock, how about a picture? Oh, yeah, sure. And he stops hitting. He starts running, gets about 100 yards. And someone says, hey, Rock, how about an autograph? And he writes the autograph. And he doesn't take it seriously. Meanwhile, Clubber Lang, Mr. T, is training. And he's training. Nobody's paying any attention to him. He's the new street fighter. And they get in the rink, and you remember that Rocky loses, and he can't understand it. And so he goes to his friend, Apollo Creed. His former nemesis is now his friend, and he said, how could this happen? I only have one more fight. This was my last fight. How did I possibly lose? And you remember what Apollo said. He said, the eye of the tiger, Rock, the eye of the tiger, You used to have the eye of the tiger, Rock. You used to put in the time. You used to put in the effort. You used to be focused, Rock. The eye of the tiger. Well, we don't keep our eye on the tiger, but the lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah. And the point of the illustration is when life happens as it happened to Rocky, he took his eyes off of what He was called to do. And he allowed other things, other passions to take front and center. And when he took his eyes off of what he was called to do, he fumbled. He tripped up. And that's what happens to us. And so the text is telling us to keep our eyes on Jesus, to be focused on Jesus, to worship Jesus, to live for Jesus. In fact, it says, and Messiah, it says that if we take our eyes off of the Lord, it's as though we make the Lord's stomach hurt and he feels like spitting up. It's actually a vulgar word. In the Old Testament Greek version, that is the Septuagint, this word was used of Jonah. You remember that God comes to the prophet Jonah and he sends him to Nineveh a city that has beaten Israel several times, a city surrounded by poles, literally with heads, decapitated heads of Israelites. Jonah wants nothing to do with their redemption. And so rather than going to Nineveh, he heads to Tarshish, I think it's Spain. And you remember God sends a storm and Jonah confesses to the crew that 
they're all going to meet Davy Jones's locker unless they throw him over. And they throw him over, and God has a fish swallow Jonah. And he's in the fish for three days. Don't be fooled, by the way, by, Genesis, or by Jonah too. It is a phony prayer. He cites lots of scripture. Almost every verse he miscites. It's a phony prayer. There is nothing good about Jonah. Don't read the kids' stories. When you read the kids' stories to your grandkids or your children, read it correctly. Jonah never repents. He is a disobedient prophet. And you remember that there is a belly burp by the fish. And we have the first amphibious landing. That's our word. It's a gross word. There's fish slime all over Jonah. And God says, that's the way I feel. When I see people that I have redeemed through the shed blood of Christ that have taken my eyes off the Lord, it's making me sick to my stomach. Jeff, get back on path. Keep your eyes on Jesus. But that wasn't what was happening in Laodicea. Let me read verses 17 and 18 again. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Those are really important words based on this city. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you really may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Laodicea wasn't known for its water. It didn't have good water. That was Hierapolis. That was Colossae. What Laodicea had were three things. Laodicea was one of the great banking centers of the ancient world. Some Roman soldiers would only bank in Laodicea. They were rich. They were good at banking. Because of the grass in the Lycus Valley, then and even today, they grew the finest raven black wool. They had the cashmere outfits. You want to look snappy? You go to Laodicea to buy clothes. So you bank there. You're rich there. You're snappy dresser there. You're not naked. You're dressed well. And then they had eye salve because of the chemicals in that area. They actually had an optometry center that was the most famous in the ancient world. And what does he say? You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. The very things you are known for you're not known for in heaven. You're getting an A plus in earth. You're getting an F in heaven. That's what the Lord is saying to the church of Laodicea. People admire you. They think you've done so well with your life. But in the economy of God, you haven't done as well as you think. So he says, what I want you to do is repent. Verse 19 those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. I suspect I'm talking to a lot of people who are really on fire 
useful, committed to the kingdom, well done. But maybe some of us realize that we've kind of forsaken our first love. What John will say to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2. And it's time to get our eyes back on the Lord. He says, repent. I'll bring discipline into your life because God loves his children so much that we will not live our best life as God intended until or unless we are sold out for the Lord. He says, I'll bring some discipline. I'll bring some reproving. There may be some things that happen in your life that don't need to happen. But in order to get your eyes back on me, Jeff, I'm going to allow these things in your life. And then verse 20, that verse that sometimes we misapply evangelistically. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If a man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me in a unbelievable act of condescension. The Lord says to Christ's followers, hey, hey, you've kind of forsaken me. You've kind of taken your eyes off me. I'm still there. You've moved. I haven't. Just come back. Just come back. And he he actually addresses it to the single person. So I don't know how many people are in this room right now. It may be that only one, only one says, yeah, I've taken my eyes off of Jesus. It's not the focal point of my life. And he's there. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will sup with him and he with me. Even if you're the only believer in your family, he's looking for the one. Even if you are the only person that you know in your friend group that says, you know what, I got to get back on track with the Lord, he's waiting for you. Even if you and I are the only one that we know that says, yeah, Jesus is going to be the priority of my life, he's waiting for the one. It's an interesting word. Diapsonai is the, the word for dinner. This is the way I would illustrate it. I've always used the same tour guide in Israel. He's pretty much retired. I won't be doing that anymore. And I've pretty much used the same Arab bus driver. So I have a Jewish tour guide. By law, I have to. And I had a great one. And I use the same Arab driver. And so early on, they would say, Jeff, you can spend all day, all night. You can eat breakfast. You can have dinner. You can spend all the time with your people, but lunch is ours. And I would push back and say, no, no, no. Lunch, I'm eating lunch with the group I came with. And it was, it was a Middle East faux pas on my part. I came to realize that this meal is a leisurely meal and we Americans eat it really quick and then we wait for those two because they're not eating it quick. And I came to realize that they were hired by me until I would eat the meal and then we were friends. So now I eat the meal with them. I have breakfast, I have dinner, I spend all day, but 
lunch, I eat with them. And, and it's funny because my group is done in like 15 minutes. They scarf down their food. These guys just, it just goes slow. And I'm kind of looking at my watch thinking, man, I want to be at Caesarea Meriti. Come on. But if you sit there and you spend this leisurely meal, then you have the opportunity to get to know their lives, to share salvation by faith with Christ, with a Jew and an Arab. Think about that. A really white boy sitting down with a Jew and an Arab talking about Jesus. Why? Because you spend the time, this leisurely meal, and that's what Jesus is offering us. He's offering us more than checking a couple boxes. Got to get through the daily bread, say a couple prayers, and uh, off to work, off to life. Maybe go to church 1.5 times a month. That is, by the way, the average of the evangelical world today in the United States. And uh, we check a couple boxes, and, uh, and Jesus said, no. I'm standing outside the door. I'm knocking on the door of your life. And I want you to open the door. I want to come in. And I want to have the most leisurely time with you. We're not talking about what you do for me. We're talking about the relationship with me. And Jesus said, I long for that relationship, Jeff. I long for that relationship Church at Laodicea, I, I long for that relationship, Christ follower. And notice verse 21, it's amazing. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Can you imagine? <laughs> we got the throne of the Father, and we got the throne of the Son, and the throne of the Spirit. And Jesus said, man... You built this relationship with me while you are on earth. Man, my throne's pretty big. Hop on. Let's sit on it together. Let's continue that relationship into eternity. That's what's being offered to you, to me, today. Let's pray. Father God, uh, it's really an amazing passage an amazing offer. We ask, Father, that we might be the one. Or really, we ask that we might be part of the many that either are on point, on fire, hot, cold, useful. But not only useful, but relational. And that we might nurture a vibrant, growing relationship with your son. That's the offer that he has made through the words of scripture. May we take up that offer for our betterment and your glory. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.